Welcome back to another episode of our special National Addiction Treatment Week podcast. My name is Zach Caruso, and today I'm sitting down to talk with internal medicine clinician and educator, Dr. Nick Christian. Uh, he's currently a postdoctoral research fellow through the Veterans Affairs Health Services Research and Development Program uh, and a provider for veterans experiencing homelessness at the Homeless Patient Aligned Care Team Clinic. In this episode, Dr. Christian talks about his journey from musician to doctor, it's really fascinating, and how he's taking his addiction treatment care to the street by actually meeting patients where they are to help them with the recovery process. Dr. Nick Christian, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, really excited to talk to you. We were talking before we started a little bit about um, music and how that intertwines into your career in addiction medicine. I'm excited to talk to you. So um, I'm going to let you take it away. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what led you to medicine and, and in particular addiction medicine? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. Uh, so my story of finding medicine honestly starts with music. Uh, I've been playing in band since I was probably 15 years old. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life at the end of high school, early undergrad. Uh, and so I actually started a music festival that, uh, that was a nonprofit music festival. Uh, we donated the money that we generated to local charities in the area. And it was through that community organizing uh, that I thought, you know what, I, I think I could see myself as like a community activist or advocate. And that led me to volunteer through a class uh, during undergrad where I was helping uh, set up a, a Latino uh, a, a Latino clinic within a trailer park um, in Columbus, Ohio. And in that process, that was the first time I saw a physician in the community uh, really engaging uh, with with the population. And I, I was blown away by his work. Uh, and that was when I was like, I think I could see myself doing this um, and uh, applied to medical school. Um, and I have uh, seen throughout my career that like, music, uh, when I try to give it up, uh, I suffer. And it's just such an integral part of who I, uh, my identity uh, and my joy. Uh, and it's honestly helped me connect so much with patients. Um, as soon as I find that a patient is a musician, it's like we have an immediate bond. Um, and it's uh, just helped me in, in so many uh, levels throughout my career. That's, that's amazing. Did you have an interest in medicine before this or, or did this just inspire you kind of out of the blue? So I, uh, I would say it kind of inspired me out of the blue. I'm, I'm the first uh, physician in my family. Uh, my dad's a pharmacist, so I got exposed a little bit to, to that side of, of medicine. Uh, but it really, uh, I think that just my uh, primary driver, I think even still today, is connecting with people. And I think that music just has a really unique way of doing that, like creating, bringing people together in a moment. And I think that in some ways, that's what a lot of people are looking for from their physician as well. Uh, and this is all my analysis in hindsight, but I, I think that in some ways that's uh, what drew me to medicine was like seeing this, this special connection that, uh, that you can have with, with someone one-on-one. -on -one. And not only that, but impact people at the, at the population uh, scale uh, by creating programs that promote people being able to, to connect with others. Um, and that's uh, been a common theme, I think, throughout all of my career, and especially as I have gotten deeper into addiction medicine, um, is how, how can we help people feel comfortable to connect um, with their providers and talk about 
something that previously has been very negatively seen and has imposed very uh, negative views in, in their uh, self-image. Um, and how, how can we let patients know that, hey, we're here for you? And how can we help providers take on a similar perspective that, hey, it's time to look at these people as people? Um, and uh, that, that I think another thing that really helped me early on in my career was uh, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. It was kind of ground center or ground zero for um, the opioid crisis in our state. Um, and so, unfortunately, I've had several close high school friends of mine pass from overdose. And I saw early on that, like, these are just good people that were stuck in a difficult situation. And in a lot of ways, it was the the stigma around their use that, that kept them from talking to me about it or talking to their friends or engaging in the community. Um, so, yeah, all, the, all that to s- summarize to say, I think that medicine is such an amazing way to connect with people. And I think it's addiction medicine in particular, our ability to view the person as a human being uh, above all else, I think is is what uh, what motivates me for this field and, and where a lot of the power of this field lies. That's really incredible. And you uh, reading through, you know, we have an article on the ASAM blog that, that kind of detailed your journey a little bit, and I found it really interesting. So I'm, I'm excited to hear about this really unique space that you work in with, with addiction medicine as well. But going back a little bit, can you tell me about your addiction medicine fellowship? What, what kind of things did you experience during your fellowship? Um, how did it shape your, your addiction medicine journey? Sure. Um, I uh, attended the Yale program in addiction medicines clinical fellowship uh, for, for one year. And that clinical exposure was just incredibly eye-opening. I had already done a little bit of work expanding access to buprenorphine in the hospital. And so I felt like, okay, I already kind of know this field, right? I had no idea what I didn't know. And that's what was so humbling and so rewarding about my experience is getting to see patients both in the hospital, um, in an outpatient um, opioid treatment program, um, getting to see what a residential facility looks like, um, the diversity of clinical exposure uh, through my addiction medicine fellowship. I feel like was an unmatched. Um, and I am so grateful to have been able to train under just incredible physicians, um, who are really pioneering the field of, of addiction medicine. Um, and having that experience, I feel much more confident, I think in my ability to talk to patients and, and I know now, uh, how to keep up on the literature and how, truly this is a, a pioneering field and it's still in development and how can I best um, contribute to, to the this um, what I hope is a nationwide revolution around how how do we treat patients uh, with substance use disorders right speaking of looking for solutions and being part of the answer, you know, you talk to me about the B team. So B team as, as kind of a summary is national model for expanding access to buprenorphine for hospitalized patients with opioid use disorder. Can you tell me a little bit about what was the inception of B team? What, what kind of inspired it? What does it do? And what made you want to get involved in something like that or come up with something like this idea? Sure. So I moved to Austin, Texas for my internal medicine residency training. And in particular, I, I joined a program. They, they called it the Distinction Track uh, for Care Transformation. And the goal is to just have some project that by the end of your time, uh, you, you can say, hey, this was the QI project I was involved with. And they just throw tons of resources 
um, at your project to to help give it growth. Mm-hmm. And I was just incredibly fortunate that during my intern year, I met a physician uh, assistant. His name's Richard Botner, uh, and he's an incredibly uh, knowledgeable, savvy, socially savvy. He just knows everyone in the hospital. And after meeting him, uh, he and I somehow started talking about how he had just completed his ex waiver and he didn't know why we're not treating more people with opioid use disorder in the hospital. And I was like, Hey, I actually am really intrigued by this idea. I, I agree with you. Why aren't we using this medication for patients who are hospitalized? And from that initial conversation bloomed a, an amazing program of multiple clinicians, uh, multiple professions uh, who came to the table in a volunteer fashion to create a method for uh, providers when they have a patient who's hospitalized with opioid use disorder and in withdrawal, they could page our team. Someone from the team would reach out and help coach that team through starting buprenorphine for, for that patient. And it started out in the first year, I think we saw uh, around, or started around 250 or so people uh, on buprenorphine. And it has just blown up tremendously. Uh, the fact that there aren't as many uh, addiction clinicians in Texas in particular, I think is really um, this program has kind of filled that gap in a lot of ways by allowing hospitals that don't have an addiction specialist, um, a- allowing th- those providers to also prescribe buprenorphine for their patients that need it. And so currently it's expanded to multiple hospitals now um, it's now uh, under the the name Shout Texas um, as for those that are interested in learning more. And if you're in Texas, um, it's a it's, they have tremendous resources um, that they're putting together to help educate hospitals for how to how to do this work. That's that's amazing. And beyond that as well, you also talk to me about um, what you do. You do mobile work as well. You go out and and kind of meet. Uh, patients and and individuals dealing with addiction where they are. Um, How was that inspired? What brought that idea about? And can you talk to me a little bit about what is that experience like for you? Yeah. So I, uh, to even back up even further, I got to live in a community that was housing people that were once unhoused um, and it's called Community First Village. And in that community, um, I was just uh, a friend and neighbor to the people that uh, we're living there, and there are over 500 people uh, that are coming out of chronic homelessness that currently live in this community. And so I got to see firsthand just all the different barriers that that people face in getting the treatment that they need. And I also got to see that like people who are unhoused are also just people. They have some of the most amazing stories uh, and are some of the most courageous people that you'll ever meet. Uh, and Coming from that background, I think that I've always felt like uh, we need to increase access to treatment where our patients are, and our patients are normally just in their day-to-day lives. <laughs> they're they're on the streets. They're hanging out. Um, and I caught wind of this program that's happening in New London, Connecticut, uh, called uh, New London, Connecticut Cares, uh, and they do mobile outreach work um, in which they have two peers uh, who, and I'm going to have to name drop them because they've been so impactful on on my life, Trish Rios and Donnie Rose, they both just know everyone in this community. They're both in recovery themselves, uh, and they're just so incredibly accessible to their patients that 
people know to reach out to them no matter what, thick or thin. Um, and because of that relationship that they've developed with people, they are able to identify people who are ready for treatment. And so one half day a week, typically a provider goes up uh, and meets with the people that they've identified uh, and we'll start them on buprenorphine. And I've had the pleasure of being able to do that for, for several months now. And it is just, it's been so humbling seeing a care team that's led by peers. And I really think that this model is in incredibly effective, especially reaching people that aren't necessarily ready for treatment right away. Um, and it, I saw firsthand there, we were parked, uh, on a street, uh, where there were, there was a lot of activity where I was evaluating someone's wound uh, and I saw a guy ride by on his bicycle and he stopped and he looked back at us and I noted him, but I, I kept talking to uh, the individual that I was speaking with. Well, five minutes later, he's coming up and asking, Hey, what are you guys about? We tell him, Hey, we're uh, a program that, that just is hoping to increase access to care. What do you need? We also have harm reduction resources. Um, how can we help you? Uh, we ended up starting him on buprenorphine and he confessed to us in our interaction that he was literally riding his bicycle to go see his dealer. And in that process, he realized that, you know what, if this is going to be this easy for me to start, I've been wanting to start for a while. Let's do this now. And I think that that's the power of street outreach. When you meet people where they are is you make it easier for them to make the right choice for themselves and to choose themselves rather than having to continue um, to use to, to feel okay and to interact in their life. That's incredible. I'm sure you've got tons of stories and tons of experiences, but I'd love to hear what, what's something that stands out to you in your time doing this kind of work and, and meeting these people where they are. What's one experience or, or one event that kind of sticks in your mind that was really impactful? So there was a, another experience in which we had a, a, a patient who couldn't, uh, she was caring for two children and she was running out of her buprenorphine prescription and she didn't know what to do. She had, she had run out for two to three days and she couldn't get into her primary doctor uh, because their office was pretty rigid with regulations around you have to come at this time and sorry, we're booked up until two weeks from now. Uh, and she was in a really hard place. Thankfully, she got connected to our peer, Donnie, uh, and he was like, Nick, we're going on a field trip. And so we literally went to this woman's house and visited her, hung out with her kids. Uh, we were trying to figure out how uh, how are we going to get you the medications? Well, we Donnie like goes to great lengths to make sure that our patients are cared for. And because they didn't have a ride and they couldn't identify a babysitter to help with the kids, they literally hopped in our van and we took the mom, the two kids. We all drove to the pharmacy together, picked up the medicines. She, she took her buprenorphine and was feeling tremendously better. Uh, and we took them home and dropped them off. And to me, I think that that story uh, highlights that I think a lot of times as, as a, as a, physician, as a provider, we view our role as just prescribing. And I think that the reality is that the system requires so much more for our patients to get well and to stay well. And I think that 
there might be opportunities for us to humble ourselves in this way where, you know what, my time is well spent sit riding along in this van with this individual and helping them go to their pharmacy. Um, and yes, that's probably not efficient in the long run, but th when our patients are falling through the cracks, sometimes it takes efforts like that, uh, to help them resurface. Um, and so I, I, I commend Donnie and Trish both have taught me, uh, this, uh, over, over the, the last several months. And I think that anyone interested in this sort of mobile outreach work should please reach out. I'm happy to connect you to them because they just have a model of care that I think is unmatched for, for street outreach. Speaking about, you know, this experience and, and some of these, these, um, patients that you've, that you've worked with and, uh, experiences you've had, you know, we talk a lot during treatment week about stigma, um, and the importance of kind of ending that stigma. It's a barrier to treatment for a lot of people. How do you perceive the current state of stigma, you know, surrounding addiction? Um, what are some of the misconceptions that you've seen in your work around addiction that, that you think need to be addressed? What are some of those issues that you think still need to be kind of uh, uh, looked at and resolved? I, it feels like we've come a good way since I started my medical career in uh, around 2017. But there's just still so much work to be done. And I, in a lot of ways, it looks like uh, I was just admitting patients to the hospital over the weekend, and I was uh, very grateful to have a patient who had an opioid use disorder, was able to start them on, on buprenorphine. Um, they were also withdrawing from uh, other substances, uh, and I detailed very clearly in my note what, uh, what needed to be done, um, used person-first language as a person with opioid use disorder. The next day, I went to look in the chart uh, to see what happened to the patient. Thankfully, they were still there. They were still getting treatment. But the note the next day from the outgoing provider was throwing abuse, um, a lot of other really uh, words that I think really do reshape how we think about our patients. And it just went to show that like, even though I am one provider out in the world using this sort of language, it's going to, it takes way more than that to shape everyone's perspective on this. And it would have been way easier. This is what made me laugh. It would have been way easier for this doc to just copy and paste my note from the day before. But they went out of the way to change the language into how they view uh, the, this this disease. Uh, and I uh, I share that example just to highlight that, that there's still so much work to be done. And I think a lot of it stems from people not really understanding what addiction is. And I, I think... It's tough because we've seen that education alone does not really change people's perceptions on on patients or perceptions of people. So I think a lot of the work that the next phase, I think, of reducing stigma is figuring out how can we help people one-on-one, -on -one, like develop relationships with people with lived experience or develop relationship, relationships with people who are in the field. Um because to me, that's what's really, I think, transformed my heart. Like our, our hearts aren't changed by knowledge. Our hearts are changed by relationships and figuring out how we can help uh, general providers like have their hearts touched by our patients who come with so much incredible expertise. Um, that, that's, I think, the next phase of the challenges that, that we face. 
you know, since this episode is going to be airing during National Addiction Treatment Week, we've talked a lot about your experiences, some of the things that you've seen, and you do have such a unique and, and really incredible kind of journey and position in the addiction medicine treatment world. I would love to hear um, what would you say to the medical community, to clinicians about treating addiction? What are your important takeaways? What message would you like them to kind of take from this episode and bring out into the world, into their practice and with their patients? I would say that anytime you're treating a patient and you feel like you're not on their team, that you have to be adversarial with them, it's really important to take a psychological timeout and evaluate why that is. And is it because the patient uh, is using uh, crack cocaine? Is it because the patient um, is still using alcohol despite uh, being discharged a week ago? Is it because the patient uh, is a person of color? Is it because they're female? There's a lot that I think we we change how we react to our patients in a very subconscious way. And it's it's time for us to elevate the subconscious to conscious and acknowledge that no matter who you are as a human, like you're worthy of life. And it's important for us to figure out as doctors, how do we preserve that life? How do How do we help people see that they have dignity, that they have worth, that you care about them. And sometimes just that touch of acknowledging that, hey, you're a human and you are important to this world. That alone is therapeutic for most of our patients. And I think that a lot of providers maybe haven't had that experience of seeing how therapeutic that can actually be uh, and might have a different narrow-minded view perhaps of, of what our role as as providers are. Um, so I would just encourage providers to uh, try to elevate the, those subconscious negative um, attachments that we have on people um, and really uh, view the person in front of you as being a human being worthy worthy of our treatment and worthy of of, for lack of better words, our love. Well, Dr. Nick Christian, can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with us. It was great speaking with you today, and we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Zach. Such a pleasure to be here. I love what you guys are doing. Thank you so much for listening to our chat with Dr. Nick Christian today. And be sure to check out our show notes from this episode for uh, more great links and resources in there. Uh, it's Treatment Week all week long. That's right, from the 16th to the 22nd. So don't forget to use the hashtag Treatment Week to stay up to date with everything happening this week. And that's from podcast episode releases to resources and information on addiction medicine and treatment. And be sure to visit our website, treataddictionsavelives.org to learn more. We got plenty more great interviews coming this week. Really excited about it, so don't miss it. And until next time, treat addiction, save lives.